When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. by the Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Lutz from 60! To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! OTA. More like no TA. <laughs> this is Inside Black and Gold. We went out to the second official organized team activities for the Saints today. We are going to talk about it. We are live right now on Facebook and YouTube. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can give me a follow at Jeff underscore Nowak. If you haven't subscribed to Inside Black and Gold, wherever you get your podcasts, please do that. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube, WWL Sports, please do that. And obviously check out WWL.com for the latest Saints coverage. I have a full observations post from today up online. If you'd like to go there now so you can follow along, feel free because that's a lot of what we are going to go through on this here podcast. We're also going to do a live mailbag in the final segment. First, there was lightning. (laughs) So what happens is the Saints go out to practice. We have a certain amount of time for the media that we can watch. This is a little different at OTAs than it is during the full training camp when we are there for the entire thing. So when there is a lightning warning, it's kind of like a golf course where you hear the horn and they all go inside. And so the clips that I'm going to play on YouTube are a lot more condensed than they would normally be because when you go inside, they do not allow you to record on your cell phone. TV cameras can record in there. It's really stupid, but whatever. (laughs) So I don't carry a TV camera around with me. So I'm kind of SOL when they go inside in terms of recording, but I do have better notes than I would normally have. So we can kind of split the difference there. And we're going to get into it. We're going to go through attendance. First off, we're going to get through some observations. And then in the second segment, we're going to get into, you know, what did Dennis Allen have to say? We talked to him about the whole John Gruden thing. So we can get into that because I think that is a, a lot of a do over something that, you know, if you didn't know about it, you wouldn't know that you didn't know about it, right? It's, It's not something that we ever talk about. The Saints bringing in coaches to, you know, learn from. But, hey, you know, we can get into it. And then in the final segment, obviously, it's going to be that mailbag. But first things first, let's get into it. As I mentioned, we take attendance at these events, right? And these are organized team activities. They are voluntary. So someone not being in attendance is not the end of the world. In fact, and this is something that DA said today, you know, there's a lot of offensive linemen out right now. He doesn't necessarily view that as a problem. He views that as, okay, the young players now get a chance for some reps that they might not otherwise have gotten. So you look at it and you say, okay, is this really an issue in terms of them not being here? And in a vast majority of cases, it is not an issue. There is one case that I think we need to watch closely, and we'll get into that. But first, I'm going to tell you the players that have missed both OTA sessions. You had a couple players returning today that were not there the first time around. That's linebacker Demario Davis, safety JT Gray, both team leaders. You figured they were going to be there for at least one of these sessions, and they are. But there are several players who were at the first session who were not there today. So the players who have missed both, let's go through those first. Tight end Taysom Hill, wide receiver Michael Thomas, cornerback Marshawn Lattimore, Offensive lineman, rookie, Nick Saldaveri, dealing with a calf injury. Right tackle, Ryan Ramchick, whatever you want to call him, James Hurst, backup guard, maybe left tackle, I don't know. And then Andres Pete is the other player who was absent for both. Now, these players were only absent for today. That includes 
Defensive tackle Nathan Shepard, kind of interesting when you see a new player not there. Cornerback Bradley Roby, wide receiver Traquan Smith, cornerback slash safety Lonnie Johnson Jr., safety Tyron Matthew, and wide receiver James Washington. So that's 15 absences. That is up from 10 in the first week. Again, I don't think it's worth making a huge deal out of these things. When we talked to Dennis Allen after the first session, he said that he had heard from everybody players who were not there and he's aware of what whether they were going to be there or not there were no surprises the one name on this list that is kind of concerning is Nick Saldaveri and it's more concerning when you consider that he was at the facility today and we saw him walking around the locker room so he's in meetings which I guess is a good thing but you know there are several players Trevor Penning Cesar Ruiz Eno Benjamin Miller Forrestal the tight end and running back Kendry Miller they're dealing with injuries. They are out there on the field. I'm not sure what is keeping Nick Saldaveri off the field in terms of just watching, uh, being out there. But hey, you know, I don't know. Either way, he didn't seem like he was walking with a limp or anything. He wasn't. It didn't. He didn't seem to have any clear issues with that calf. So hopefully, it's not anything significant. We can see him out there before too long. Either way, he's really the only player that we're looking at. Like, okay, when are you going to get out in the field? Kendry Miller is still kind of working his way back. I don't know what Eno Benjamin is dealing with. It's kind of strange. But generally speaking, you're just looking at these and you're saying, okay, which young players can make an impact? And that's where you're looking at. The two that I think have stood out above all others, and it's a good thing because this is what you were expecting and it's what's happening, is Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave look like seasoned veterans coming back into year two. Last year, we just didn't know what to expect with either of them. This time last year, we didn't even know what Rashid Shahid would look like as a wide receiver. He was rehabbing from a knee injury. He suffered in his final game at Weaver State. Obviously, he did what he did. And now he goes into this season kind of looking at, okay, I'm going to have a significant role. I talked to him in the locker room today, and he's fully expected to go in as the return ace, right? Like he's anticipating being the primary returner, which is kind of obvious, but at the same time, yeah, like that's a significant difference from this time last year where Deontay Hardy was the obvious choice to return and Marquez Callaway was his backup. You didn't know, okay, how is Rashid Heat even going to get on the roster when you have your returner and your backup pretty set? Well, those two guys are gone and now it's Rashid's job to lose and he is ready to take it. The other guy, Malik Flowers, is interesting. When I talked to Rashid today, he kind of mentioned like they had a back and forth in college because Rashid at Weber State set the NCAA record for returns. He had seven return touchdowns. Malik Flowers at Montana, they play each other, tied that record last year. And he kind of said they had kind of an adversarial relationship in college. They're cool. It's fun. Um, but that, that's kind of an interesting subplot. Both Chris Olave and Rashid Shahid were very busy in drills. Derek Carr went four for six in seven on sevens. Completion to Rashid Shahid, completions to Chris Olave, and a completion to Lucas Kroll. Now, when we go inside, it does limit our ability to see everything. And we didn't get to see the, the only real set of 11 on 11 drills, which is frustrating. And I know Bobby Hebert was a little annoyed by this. As you go all the way out there, it's like you could at least see the team drills. Either way, that's not here or there. We just saw, I saw two reps of Derek Carr. He completed one of those passes to Brian Edwards, the new wide receiver, who he obviously played with, with the Raiders, and Rashid Shahid again. You know, so that connection is forming. And that's a good thing. And Derek Carr's connection in general is forming. Jameis also went two for four in seven on sevens. Hayner went one for two. Again, we didn't see their reps in the team drills for, you know, I'm not going to get into the, the weeds of how these things go, but we were not there to see them. So I don't know how they went. Either way, it's been a reasonably tight set of practices. I know DA said today that, you know, there's too many balls on the ground. This looks like a team that hasn't practiced in four days. And sure, it's the second set of OTAs. There are things that are going to go wrong. Um, but I think they've been they've been limited for the most part. Like, I don't think you've been seeing this team constantly making mistakes, making errors. There aren't that many instances where you can make errors in OTAs, or at least not obvious ones. You're doing mostly position drills, you know, just get better at stuff. Like that's what you're looking to do. Mistakes aren't a problem until they are repetitive. So one guy making a drop is not an issue until he does the same thing again and again and again, right? Like you learn from those mistakes and that's the whole point here. I know I posted one one clip on uh, uh, as a short on YouTube yesterday and it, the ball 
comes in behind Rashid Shahid and he catches it and he turns up field. And I think it's a pretty good Rashid clip because it shows his hands. And like someone commented like, wow, what a bad throw from the quarterback. He's supposed to be getting better. And it's like, yeah, he is. This is the first day of on-field drills for these players. He's learning what this guy's speed is like. He's learning how he gets in and out of breaks. So yeah, some of these throws are going to be a little behind guys right now. And ideally, by the time you get to the season, they won't be. So I do caution people to not overreact to what they're seeing on these kind of highlight reels, which are anything but a highlight reel. It's basically just what we're able to record or what I'm able to record and play back for you. I've been trying to get clips of each position group as we've gone. Obviously, there's only been two practices. That's why you know I was able to get some of the DBs today. You know, I would have tried to get more, but lightning and all that. But yeah. So one other guy that I think stood out today which again, it was a very limited day. You didn't see a ton. You're not going to see a lot of trench work, right? You're not going to see a lot of defensive linemen, you know, butting heads with offensive linemen, right? They just don't do that at OTAs, really. It's all kind of at half speed. But you do get to see some battles between DBs and wide receivers. And I thought Troy Pride Jr. made an impression today. He picked off Derek Carr on the final rep of the seven on seven drills. And he also had a pass breakup on a deep shot intended for Keith Kirkwood. I don't know why it was intended for Keith Kirkwood, but it was. And so he had a good day, right? And that's when you're a guy like Troy Pry Jr. <laughs> all you're hoping to do is find a way to make an impression so that when training camp rolls around and they're trying to figure out those last few roster spots or even the practice squad, you're a guy that, that the coaches are thinking about. And you're a guy that coaches have a good impression about. And that's kind of where you go. Uh, Malik Flowers, like we talked about, return ace. I saw one comment that was basically saying he is just like Rashid Shaheed. And I cannot stress enough, that is not true. These are both return aces, but that there's a lot of different ways to be a return ace, right? Like Devin Hester and Cordero Patterson are not the same, but they are both very, very good returners. Or they, they were, they are, whatever you want to say. Rashid Shahid and Malik Flowers are both elite return guys, but they do it very differently. When you watch them move around, they are very different athletes. Rashid is very smooth. He gets in and out of his breaks really cleanly. He, ha- he can turn his hips. He can get upfield. He can track the ball. He's very good at that part of the game. Malik is, I would say, closer to a, maybe like a Debo Samuel type like athlete or like closer to a running back than maybe a wide receiver. right? Like He's a guy you might want to get the ball to on jet sweeps. Because I think in the open field with, with a head of steam, he can run through everybody But because he is more of a power runner. And so he can outrun people and get downfield. I'm just not sure he's as polished as a wide receiver as Rashid was coming in. And we saw that today. He, he got wide open over the top. Jameis Winston hit him on a deep ball. He hauls it in, and then he dropped it, which is not a great impression to make for Malik Flowers there. But, you know, I think... Again, this is where you're, you're, you're getting better. I think it would have been a catch and a fumble in a game. And, you know, we saw that from Chris Olave last year. Like, that's not entirely new in terms of, okay, <laughs> you can make the catch, but your, your point of contact is just not strong enough. You're getting it knocked out. You're not possessing it to the ground. Those are stuff you have to, you have to fix year one to year two. I'm still not sure where Chris Olave is on that, on that line, but I do think that he is looking just very workman-like, very business-like, which is what you want to see in year two. He does not seem overwhelmed at all, and that's a good thing. A.T. Perry, like we talked about last week, I still think he's kind of finding his groove. I don't know exactly what it'll look like when he does, but it's just not... Things aren't clicking between him, Derek Carr, the quarterbacks in general. Right now, I think there's timing issues. The ball is constantly getting thrown behind him. They might not kind of be able to anticipate when he's coming out of his break something's not adding up there it's only the second week of practice it's only the fourth total practice so it's not the end of the world there's a lot of time to improve on this but it is something to watch because when you look at these you know sixth round picks who are not guaranteed to make the roster right you got to kind of earn that spot you know and I think Jordan Howden who we talked to today has actually impressed me over the first few practices and so on my initial roster projection, I had A.T. Perry coming in and making that, and I actually had Jordan Howden as a cut. At this point, I might I might flip that. I'm not going to redo my roster projections until after minicamp, which is in a couple more weeks. I think that's fair to kind of wait it out and get a few more looks at these guys. 
But right now, A.T. Perry has probably, outside of maybe the two <laughs> rookies that have not got on the, on the field, struggled as much as, as anybody out there. One more note before we hit a break and come back with some audio. Brian Brzee, the athlete. Again, we haven't gotten a ton of chances to watch Brian Brzee move around, but in the in the small sampling that we have, he doesn't look like a defensive tackle moving around. He looks like just an athlete. And the reason I bring this up is I was watching him during, during stretches and he did, you know, it's called like a kick up where you kind of roll back and you just leap up onto your feet and you're standing. And I was thinking to myself, how many 300 pound dudes can pull off that maneuver <laughs> without falling flat on their face, right? You know, it's a defensive tackle. And then I was thinking, well, actually, Colin Saunders probably could because Colin Saunders can do back handsprings at 300 pounds. So, you know, you look at this team and I wouldn't say they had a particularly athletic defensive line last year. And it was one of the struggle points that I thought they had. And now you you have athletes at every position. Even Isaiah Foskey is coming in. He's probably the best athlete at the defensive end position that they've had in a long time. And so, you know, I think that that's going to be a really fascinating group to watch. I just can't give you a ton of information right now because until we put pads on and start hitting for real, it's just, it's just hard to, to make too much of a determination there. But all right, that was kind of the quick observations from OTAs. We're going to come back. We're going to hear from Dennis Allen. And we're obviously going to have that mailbag in the final segment. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. That's N-O-W-A-K. Stick around. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. Thanks to everyone who's watching this on YouTube and Facebook. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you would like to hear. I say this all the time, but I mean it. The feedback is very helpful. And I, all I ask is that we get more of it, right? Like, I don't care if you hate what you're listening to. Honestly, I'd rather, I, I prefer to hear from people who hate what they're listening to because that's usually helpful information because <laughs> I can't improve when people don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. So if you haven't left a review, if you haven't left any comments, please do that. And uh, we'll just keep going. So obviously I was out at OTAs today for the Saints. You know, we got another good look at a lot of players. Again, it's, you know, I think Bobby Hebert and Mike Dettelier would call it, you know, running around in pajamas because that's really what you're doing. You are not wearing pads. This is not real football. This is skill work. That said, we are going to hear from Dennis Allen. I kind of trimmed what his comments down to some of the more interesting ones. I'm just going to play them through and let you hear them, and then we can react to them in real time. So without further ado, here you go. Um, look, felt like um, I felt like we practiced like a team that's been off for four days. Um, so there's a lot of things we got to get cleaned up, um, but we'll have another opportunity to get out here tomorrow, clean some things up, and uh, get better. So. Yeah, well, I think that word is is probably a good word to, you know, say kind of where he's at. I mean, I do think he's he's uh, a lot more confident in what he's doing. Obviously, you can see his speed and feel his speed out on the field. You know, we've, we've been able to hit a few explosive plays throughout, you know, these last four days. So um, I think he's in a good spot right now, um, you know, Certainly, there's still a lot of things that he can improve on, and, and uh, I think that's what we're trying to do this time of year. What are some of those areas of improvement that you want to look for tomorrow even? Well, look, I think the ball was on the ground more today than, than uh, it had been in the previous three practices. So well, it was more – it had zero to do with effort. I think our guys are out here working hard. I just don't feel like the execution was quite where it needed to be. And um, – you know, well, look, we're in a race to improve versus 31 other teams. And, and so, you know, you don't want to see any of these opportunities slide by. So we'll have an opportunity to watch the tape, make the corrections, and, and uh, I know our guys will respond tomorrow. Yeah, you got a veteran quarterback, a veteran center. Has that been somewhat seamless? Yeah, look, I think for the most part it has. Um, you know, I know Derek's still, you know, in a learning process in terms of what we're doing, but uh, he seems to be picking everything up pretty pretty quickly. and. Uh, you know, I think we do a pretty good job of 
you know, getting the protection set right and, and identifying the mic and things of that nature. So um, I, I think it's been I think it's been good. Is being yeah. down some offensive lineman an obstacle this time of year? The nature of the practices, it's not. Well, look, I look at it as an opportunity for a lot of these young guys to get experience. Um, you know, we've got some guys that, that you know, are going to be fighting to be linemen 7, 8, 9, 10, whatever the case may be. And so uh, these are valuable reps for those guys. So um, certainly we'd love to have everybody out here uh, healthy and, and good to go. But uh, it's an opportunity for some of these guys to get some experience. All right, so I'm just going to pause it there before we go into the, to the final bit because we're going to talk about John Gruden uh, in this segment. But I do want to just kind of go back. You know, he talks about Rashid Jaheed, and I think that is, to me, what stands out the most about Rashid is just he looks confident out there. He doesn't look like he's questioning himself. And, you know, in the locker room, you talk to him, and <laughs> you wouldn't say he looks like the most confident guy in the world. He is very meek. And I, and I say that in a, in a positive way. Like he's very, you know, he doesn't come off as this like mega confident guy, but he, when you watch him on the field, you do get that. And you know, one thing that he did tell me today is he's bulked up a little bit um, this off season. Not, not a ton. Um, I think he's trying to get up to about 185 and that's the weight he wants to play at be about a five pound increase from what he played at last year. And, you know, that's kind of where I think you'd want to be for for a guy of his size. Okay, now we're going to shift gears here. And I don't want to talk a ton about John Gruden, but I do feel like we have to address it. And Dennis Allen did talk about it today. So let's kind of get into that. And I'll, I'll preface it with the information. The Saints brought in John Gruden last week to help. I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Kind of like grease the skids on the installation of the Derek Carr offense in New Orleans, he coached Derek Carr with the Raiders. This is not something that is new in terms of the Saints bring in former head coaches all the time. They brought in Mike Martz last year, and there are several others that I can't think of the names, but we could go back and find stories where they're saying, oh, they brought in this guy, they brought in this guy. So that's not unusual. Obviously, the the noise around it is based heavily on the email scandal and the and the he, that forced him to kind of resign in disgrace. From the Raiders in 2021, obviously that was a team Derek Carr was on. That team actually went to the playoffs um, and lost in the in, in the first round, I believe. But okay, so that's the information. Dennis Allen was asked about it today, and here is what he said: How did the collaboration with John Gruden come about? Kind of what was his role here? Yeah, look, I mean, number one, we we we've had several coaches come uh, and visit. Obviously, John's a guy that uh, uh, has a lot of experience with Derek, um, and Derek's had his most success uh, under John Gruden. And so uh, we felt like bringing him in, uh, having a chance to sit down and, and uh, visit with him as an offensive staff, with the quarterbacks, um, and just get some new thoughts and ideas, things that we might be able to implement. Um, you know, I would say this. I would say, you know, offensively for a long time, uh, that I've been here, uh, we've been we've been pretty effective offensively, uh, and so uh, I don't see us putting in a whole new offense or doing something dramatic. But you know, if there's a few ideas that we could take from that, uh, we felt like that would be beneficial. Are you worried at all about backlash associated with bringing him in with the team or with the? No, look, I mean, I think you, you you ask everybody that was involved um, thought it was really beneficial for our football team. And look, we're going to, we're going to look at any Avenue that we can to try to uh, improve. And so that was one area that we thought um, just bringing him in and having an opportunity to sit down and visit with him uh, would help us. All right. So that that's the answer on John Gruden, right? Um, I don't know how aware Dennis Allen is of any boiling resentment online um, in terms of, the Saints dealing with John Gruden at all. I think a lot of the angst around the Saints' decision to bring him in was centered on the, the idea that they may have hired him for a job. And that's the part of it that really confused me. And it, it confounded Jeff Duncan, too, who is the one who reported this. And I joked with him, they're like, this is his fault. Because if it wasn't for him, no one would have even known that John Gruden was in the building because they aren't hiring him. The Saints aren't parading this out in front of the building as, oh, look at this guy. He's in here. He's right here. Like, that's not what's happening. They are using John Gruden's brain to help the team in an area where 
It, I mean, why wouldn't you? Like, think about that. Like, you, how many, how often do you have an opportunity to pick the brain of a former head coach of the quarterback you just paid one hundred fifty million dollars? Like, that just makes that's just good sense. And I mean, I, I guess somebody's like, well, why do you just bring in Sean Payton to help with this transition? Sean Payton's an active head coach. He, they can't bring him in <laughs> to help with stuff like this. Like, that's why it's a unique scenario where John Gruden is out of the NFL and happens to have this institutional knowledge that the Saints can benefit from. Uh, and yeah, they're not hiring him as an assistant coach, right? That's not what's going on. If they did, I think I could actually get on board with a lot of the, mm, not sure I like that. But in this instance, like, Think of it this way. Like John Gruden is still a human being in society. Like he's not, you know, like under a rock somewhere. Right. And sure. You might not want John Gruden to return to the NFL because you don't think he deserves that. Okay. John Gruden downloading information into the saints database of, okay, this is something we can work on. This is something we can add that only helps the saints. That does not help John Gruden. Right. So if you are arguing that the saints shouldn't use this information, you are arguing that, the Saints should forego an opportunity that would help them because John Gruden is whatever you want to call him, right? And that's just silly. So I don't know. Like one of my issues with this whole thing is when you see something on the internet <laughs> and it's and it's so clearly, you know, not the original source, don't necessarily believe it out of hand, right? Because what happened is Jeff Duncan pointed out that the Saints brought in John Gruden to pick his brain about the Derek Carr situation. That's all he said. He didn't say they were bringing him in. He's not saying they're returning him to the NFL, that they're giving him a job, whatever. Just saying that they talked to him. And then a bunch of aggregators on Twitter posted that as John Gruden's returning to the NFL. And then everyone's like, oh man, the Saints, duh. And, and, and get dragged through the mud for something they didn't even do. Uh, anyway, it's... It's just nonsense. And I think hopefully we can just move on from it and not be talking about this next time around at OTAs. But like, I do need people to understand that bringing in former head coaches is completely normal for this team. In this case, it just happened to be John Gruden. And so I, I don't know. We can be mad about that. Or you can just look at it as this team is exhausting all of its opportunities to improve and to make sure it puts the best product on the field possible. And that includes the information that resides in the cobweb brain of, of one John Gruden. Anyway, hopefully from here on out, we can just talk about the Saints offense and not the, the Raiders former offense. And hopefully it looks good in look, looks better in New Orleans than it necessarily did with the Raiders. All right, moving on again, as I mentioned, we're going to have a mailbag in the final segment. I'm going to cut this segment off here. You're listening to Inside Black and Gold. We are reacting to the OTAs, the first of three in the second session that happened this morning. Got forced inside due to lightning, so there's a limited amount that we can actually talk about in terms of there was already a limited amount that we were going to be able to talk about because OTAs, not a ton happens. But we're going to get into a lot of that and more in the final segment. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to do that. Inside Black and Gold, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Who dat? And we are back. One final segment here on this post. OTA number two edition of Inside Black and Gold. It becomes more and more annoying to explain what we're talking about as the OTAs go on because it's like, oh, you have one headline. Like, oh, Saints OTAs, but then you have another one. So it can't just be Saints OTAs again. Now it's the second Saints OTAs. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a whole thing. But it's, we're just ramping up, right? Training camp's coming. And we're going to have a lot of that. We're going to be ready when it hits. Okay. We're going through the questions. Have, a, have several good ones. The first question I want to get into, and it's a good one, is Eric Howard. How is the QB to wide receiver chemistry going with Der David Carr, <laughs> Derek Carr, and the wide receivers so far? And I would say, you know, it's it's coming along. I I think Der the, <laughs> Derek, I'm right. Derek said phrased it as he's asking a lot of questions right now, and when he says that, he means in a lot of instances he's just throwing and seeing what happens, right? Like he's seeing how the receivers, the tight ends, all the pass catchers kind of react in certain situations, right? How they get in and out of breaks, you know, 
when they open up, like that sort of thing. And so that, that comes with time. I do think that Rashid specifically has gotten on top of several of Derek's passes. And in, 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 when I say that, I mean, I think Derek has underestimated kind of the, not even the speed, but the quickness of Rashid in short areas. Like when he runs that whip route, he gets out of it so quickly that by the time the ball gets there, it's behind him because that's just something that you have to adjust to. And that's something that comes over time, right? I think that today they were on target a lot more. And so that's, I think that's kind of where you're at. Same thing with Chris Olave. It's a very similar scenario. There was one play that he rolled out today that Derek Carr rolled out and tried to hit Jawan Johnson down the sideline. He really should have just thrown it in the dirt. I think in a game, he probably would have thrown it in the dirt. Instead, it gets intercepted. And I think that's one of those situations where Juwan's not making that play. You know, I, I love me some Juwan Johnson. I think he's an excellent player. That's just not a situation you put him in where he would have to kind of stop his momentum, come back and work back to the ball on the sideline where you have a limited ability to even come down inbounds. You're basically asking him to play defense on that play and maybe catch it if he's lucky. You know, that's the sort of thing that I think over time you'll be like, yeah, that's a ball I shouldn't throw. Um, and, th- and that's that's not something you expect to have ironed out on the second day of, <laughs> or I guess it's not the second day, on the fourth team practice since the start of OTA. So I'd say it's coming along. I'm curious what en- what ends up happening with Michael Thomas, right? Because that is a connection that we have not seen at all. And I do think that that's a unique connection that a quarterback and a wide receiver have to have when you play like Michael Thomas does, because Michael Thomas doesn't need to create separation to be open. And when I say that, I mean like that throw can be made, but it requires a lot of trust to make, right? When he's just boxing somebody out and you're like, all right, I'm going to throw it there and you're going to go get it because you're stronger than them. You're going to make the play and you're going to make me look good. Quarterback's got to trust you to do that. And that's the type of thing that I'd like to see develop. And unfortunately we will not, until training camp, I imagine. I do not think that it'll be on the field for minicamp, but either way, we're going to find out. And I think that connection is going to be important. Will will he stay on the field for a whole season? Will he stay on the field for even eight games? I don't know, but that's going to be a very important answer when it comes to the chemistry of the wide receiver room. Uh, Tedrick Covington asks, if Taylor does win CB2, he would still play the slot because Adebo is better outside. It's not really a question, but I do want to address it. I actually disagree with with this. I don't think what you're going to do is go through camp and have a position battle with Alante Taylor and Paul Sadebo and then say whoever wins plays that position and whoever loses plays a position they haven't been working at this entire offseason. Right? Because the responsibilities at the nickel are very different. You know, and I think they all can do it. All the you know, I say all. Oh, Marshawn's not really ever going to be a consideration for the nickel, not because he can't, but because he's too good outside to even consider it. But like, I think Bradley Roby, Alante Taylor, and Paul Snodibo all could theoretically play the nickel. I think you also have Lonnie Johnson. You have Jonathan Abram, who could theoretically play the nickel. But you want whoever you are going to start there to be working on that position throughout camp. And so, to me, the most likely candidate to play at nickel is Bradley Roby. Still on the roster. He's a veteran. He's played it in the last two years. He's played a lot of nickel in his career. And the depth on the outside is not going to stop being a thing that you need. Right? You're going to have to have it. So it might be a little frustrating at points if everyone's healthy and one of Alante Taylor and Paul Sandiba aren't on the field. But I don't think that they're going to just reflexively say, okay, he didn't win that, so he's going to play over here. I think that you want to develop that position just like you want to develop your outside cornerbacks. And let's be real, the outside cornerback position gets hurt about as often as anyone in the NFL. And having a guy who's been working at that position and is ready to come in and play it is a luxury that not a lot of teams have, at least at that level where you trust them. I st- I think it's going to be Alante Taylor winning that job out of camp, but you know we haven't really gotten to see any one-on-ones, anything like that. Um, but this, the way he works, I, I have a feeling he's going to take that, if not before camp, uh, you know, early in the season. Either way, it's a good, it's a good point. I do think it's going to be something to watch is who plays the slot because, you know, for years you had C.J. Gardner-Johnson, or at least for three years you had C.J. Gardner-Johnson who you went in, you never questioned who the slot corner was going to be. 
Eric Howard asks, do you think DeMarco Jackson will make his mark on this linebacker group? You know, I, I, I wanted to talk to DeMario about DeMarco Jackson today, but we ran out of time. He was talking about all sorts of stuff and, you know, I didn't want to follow up. Uh, he basically held a sermon and I didn't want to follow that up with a, Hey, tell me about DeMarco Jackson. It was just too, you know, he had a mic drop moment and I didn't want to step on it. So we didn't get it, but I'm going to talk to him about DeMarco. I'm going to ask DA about DeMarco maybe next week. And Hopefully one of these days we'll be able to catch DeMarco in the locker room because I haven't seen him yet. That said, I mean, I've been pretty outspoken about this. Yes, I do think DeMarco Jackson is going to get the chance to make a mark on this linebacker room. Will he be able to is a different question, but I do think the opportunity is going to be there for him. Now, you could you could add more players. You can add a veteran linebacker. The fact is, you didn't sign anybody. You didn't draft anybody. Right, you brought in a few UDFAs. You know, Nick Anderson and Anthony Orgy are both interesting players. But to me, I mean, that's a pretty clear indicator that the guys in the room are the guys that you're going to go with, at least throughout camp, where you're going to give them the chance to show you that you can go with them. You know, maybe a Nephi Sewell, maybe an Andrew Dowell can can step in there. But to me, it's the fifth round pick from last year that you didn't get to see is Demarco Jackson, and I think the team likes him. I think they want to see him. So yes, I do think that. There was a very real chance that he makes a mark on this linebacker group. I just don't know what it's going to be, right? Like, you don't always need that extra linebacker, right? If Pete Werner doesn't get hurt last year, Kate Nellis, does he even get on the field? Do you even know? Does he sign that big deal? Or do you have Kate Nellis on a really cheap deal right now uh, because Pete Werner played a full healthy season? So there's the question. And I, But I do think that when you're kind of setting the depth chart at linebacker, and you're especially in the preseason, you're going to be seeing a lot of DeMarco Jackson. So it's a good question. Thanks for that. There's Eric again. When do you think the entire projected starting offensive line will finally get to practice together, mini camp or training camp? Definitely not mini camp. Um, I do think that you will see a majority of them out there. And if you consider James Hurst to be the starting left tackle, then I think you're going to be pretty close. I think you're going to have four out of five if you consider James Hurst to be the starting left tackle because Trevor Penning won't be out there. Cesar Ruiz... Maybe. I find it highly unlikely, but it's theoretically possible. I think the most likely situation is first day of training camp, you are hoping to have all of them. You are hoping... I think you can bank on Cesar Ruiz being out there. Trevor Penning, just in terms of, okay, he was a few weeks behind when he got the injury. So there's going to be a few weeks kind of in the wash there that I don't know if they'll be ready at the exact same time. But I, I would anticipate, based on what we've seen from them, they both are moving around without issue. They've both been at practice both of these times. Trevor looks great. Doesn't look like he's kind of ballooned up, which is something that can happen to you if you're an offensive lineman that suddenly can't move around. So I would guess I would guess the first day of training camp, and if not, early in camp. Tedris says, I believe they might trade Roby. I mean, it's possible. But, I mean, I don't think the depth at cornerback is – Anything you look at like, okay, yeah, we're, we're completely fine there. I mean, last year you thought you were fine and suddenly you're starting Chris Harris across from a rookie. So I, I, I disagree. You know, maybe if they get a really good offer for him, but I think that Roby is going to be a valuable depth option for this team. And they don't have to trade him for cap relief, right? Like the, the cap scenario isn't really going to change much. So... I would disagree. I think they're going to hold on to him again because he's a valuable player in the slot. Like you can put him in the slot. I, I think they're going to keep him around. I think that's where they're going to put him. Jazzleo 12 says Mark Evans, the second, how is he doing? You know, I, <laughs> I could come on here and tell you that, you know, he looks great. He looks fantastic. He hasn't allowed a single pressure because he hasn't, <laughs> but I'm just going to tell you and be honest, it's really difficult to, evaluate anything on the offensive line or the defensive line outside of, man, that looks like an NFL player. They look really athletic and fast and <laughs> because they don't, they're not wearing pads. They're not even hitting, you know, that like, especially the offensive line, you know, you're not having them go at each other without pads on, right? Like you can have the wide receivers and the DBs kind of battle downfield. You know, you still not got to tackle, but you're going to get a good idea of like, okay, you're going to move around. You're going to, you're going to make a play on the ball. That's not the case with the offensive line. Um, so, you know, until we get to training, like at least mini camp where you're seeing them multiple days in a row, I'm not going to pretend I know anything. He hasn't showed anything that stood out to me as as bad, right? Like Yasir Durant 
was getting chewed out by Doug Marone on the first day of OTAs. Like that's a pretty good indicator that he wasn't doing the job. I'm not an offensive line analyst by trade. I know enough to be dangerous, but I'm going to withhold any analysis of Mark Evans uh, at this point. But I appreciate the question. Devon says, I hope we don't sign a veteran linebacker only because I want to see DeMarco Jackson get a chance at playing. I mean, I think you could do both. You know, like I think I think you probably will sign a veteran, but like like last year you signed Kiko Alonso. It wasn't because you felt like, oh, Kiko is going to be the guy. He ended up retiring the next day, right? Like you brought in Quan Alexander by trade, and that was a different scenario because you gave up a lot to get him. Even when you brought him back, it was always kind of the plan. I don't think you're going to do that. I don't think you're going to wade into that pool quite that deep where you would see like a, a deal along the lines of what they did for Guan. But like like last year, you brought in a Joe Schobert. Like I think just having those guys during training camp is actually valuable for the young guys. So you know, I, I don't think that signing a veteran is necessarily going to be like, oh man, DeMarco never got his chance. But I, I understand what you're saying. I would also like to see DeMarco. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Like that was a bummer last year to see him get hurt. Tedra says, I know I'm just really worried about the O-line. I can't help it. Big importance to me. Yeah, the offensive line is interesting because you have all of these high draft picks on it. Like you have all of these first round picks and even your center is a second round pick that you traded up. So, I mean, effectively a first round pick, it was your first pick in that draft. That was 2019. The first round pick went in the Marcus Davenport trade, but you nailed that pick. So, you know, it it is strange. Like you have all of this value in that group, but it does feel like there's a lot of questions about it, right? Like Andres Pete, who I found out today has six siblings, the youngest of whom is like a five-star basketball recruit. Figure that one out. You know, I don't know what to expect from Andres Pete. Can he stay healthy? Is he even good enough when he is healthy? I think Nick Saldaveri has a chance to steal that job at some point this season. And it's more about just the quality of play than anything else. I think this is Andres Pete's last year on this team, personally. You might keep him around at the salary cap gets real tight, but I don't see it. And then the question is at left tackle. Can Trevor Penning be that guy? If he's healthy, can he be that guy? Is he going to have serious rookie struggles in a year where you can't really afford to let your quarterback get eaten alive, right? Like you you didn't bring in this mobile quarterback. You brought in Derek Carr, who is expecting to be protected (laughs) in that offense. And if you turn to Trevor Penning and it becomes a problem and you have to go back to James Hurst and you destroy Trevor Penning's confidence... That's awkward. So I I do have some concerns over the offensive line and they will be, you know, swayed a little bit by seeing Trevor Penning in camp healthy and and working Um, right now. Just don't have that. So it's easy to be a little concerned, especially because we haven't seen Brian Ramchek. We haven't seen Andres Pete. We haven't seen James Hurst. (laughs) We haven't seen Trevor Penning or Cesar Ruiz on the field. It's been a lot of backups. There was a question about who's starting in these reps for for just perspective when we were being let out of the indoor facility they started their their first and i believe only set of 11 on 11 drills and so i was kind of peering over trying to see what was happening but i couldn't make out who was starting at position a position b whatever so i'm not going to pretend i know but i mean there's a pretty good rotation of if you look at the at the saints roster and someone's listed with as a lineman um, there's a pretty good chance. I would guess it was Storm Norton at left tackle and, you know, Calvin Throckmorton, I'm sure was in there. You know, it's, it's, it's the group you would expect. Yeah. It, and I mean, we're going to get more, I think mini camp is when you start, you know, I, I like DeMarco Jackson, for example, got first team reps in the first set of OTAs. Part of that reason was DeMario Davis wasn't there, right? It's still valuable information knowing that he is kind of the first one off the bench in that backup role. But it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a first-team player. And so I never really try to make too many assumptions about what that means, what the depth chart's going to look like, until we're at least at minicamp where everyone is there, or at least everyone who is supposed to be there. And and that's when I'll start to figure that out. Uh, but right now, it's really just kind of seeing what everyone has to offer. Hoodie Jube says, How many wide receivers you think we're going to keep this year on the 53-man roster? And who are those players you think will take those spots so far? You know, it's it's really going to come down to it, – it, it's a tough question to answer because the if you keep a seventh wide receiver, you're not keeping him because of his wide receiver skills. You are keeping him because he's a valuable special teams player. Like being a quality wide receiver 
really doesn't even factor in, right? Like Austin Carr, do you think he stuck around all those years because he was a because he could make some really great catches on the fourth preseason game? No. He made it because he was he was working in other roles and he was a good blocker and blah blah blah. So I look at that and I'm gonna say six probably. And you know, there's the obvious ones, right? You have the Michael Thomas, Rashid Shahid, Chris Olave. I would guess you also keep Brian Edwards right now. That's who I'm guessing. Brian Edwards. James Washington, I think, is the practice squad guy. I think he's gonna be that practice squad veteran that you can bring up and elevate three times, right? And maybe not. We haven't really seen him. He was at the first OTA practice, he wasn't at this one. He was gonna wear 89. I my initial roster projection at AT Perry on it, starting to wonder. I also had Traquan Smith on there. You know, it's it it's tough. It's tough. And Malik Flowers is an interesting question. I don't think you are going to put him on the roster, just like you didn't put Rashid Jaheed on the roster last year. But I do think you're going to try to stash him on the practice squad. And at points throughout the season, if Rashid gets hurt or something like that, or you just need depth, he's there. But beyond that, you know, answer your question. I think six would be my guess. And mm, the, the the other big question would be Kirk Merritt and Kawan Baker. Kawan Baker is a draft pick. He was a seventh round pick back in 2020. <laughs> you just, you don't know. Like he's been around forever. Like that's the thing is he's been on this team. He, he, they, they stuck by him through the whole PED thing. They clearly like him. Can he make the roster? He's wearing 15 now. I don't know. Kirk Merritt, it's possible he makes his team as a running back. I don't know. He's been working with the running backs. But I do think that has something to do with the numbers at running back because you don't have Alvin Kamara, Eno Benjamin, or Kendra Miller at this point in the offseason. So I think it might be a, a numbers game with why Kirk Merritt has started at running back, whereas last year he started at wide receiver and shifted to running back. But that's kind of where I'm going to go with is Michael Thomas, Rashid Shahid, Chris Olave, Brian Edwards, Traquan Smith, A.T. Perry. Subject to change. Thank you for the question. I will say there are some players who have a better chance to make the roster if they can make it as a gunner. And right now you have Isaac Yadam, A.T. Perry, Malik Flowers, Brian Edwards, Kawan Baker, Jonathan Abram, Jordan Howden, and Shaq Davis. And Ugo Amadi, one more. I think those are players who you're like, okay, is it going to be an extra wide receiver that makes the roster if A.T. Perry looks like a great gunner, right? Or if Brian Edwards looks like he can be a, a useful gunner or a jammer? You know, that because that's the question you, you're trying to answer. That's all I got there. Louise Lockett says, hashtag free Taysom Hill. Hey, Taysom Hill's not even here. If he wants to be freed, he's got to show up. There's one. This is a question that I've seen a good bit. Jazzleo 12. Is it possible Winston is traded for Carr's favorite slot receiver? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. And obviously we're talking about Hunter Renfro. We have another question from 504co talking about Hunter Renfro here, asking if, you know, if there's any whispers of a potential Hunter Renfro trade, blah, blah, blah. I think it's possible. I don't think it's guaranteed. Like I saw someone saying like the reason they only have 89 players on the roster is because they're holding a spot for Hunter Renfro. I mean, I can tell you that they they may very well be looking to trade for Hunter Renfro. It's not they're not holding a spot open for him. That would just be silly. Like what you can that's not there's no reason. They're holding a spot open because they don't have anybody to sign. And it just makes sense if you rather than just bring somebody in that you're just keeping it open in case someone does become available that you're interested in. But that's not a smoking gun that they're gonna make this trade, right? I think it would be a good trade. I like Hunter Renfro. I actually covered Hunter Renfro in high school. I covered Hunter Renfro and Brian Edwards because they both played high school football in South Carolina. One went to Conway, which is actually where Coastal Carolina is. If anyone knows the college Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers, Hunter Renfro went to Sockesty and he was the star quarterback at Sockesty. He was dominant. He actually walked on at Clemson. I remember that thing. And I was thinking at the time, he's going he's gonna to make that team. And he's going to be good, and they and they go. Um, but no, I, I think it's possible. I do. That said, I don't think the Saints are going to want to give up anything significant for him. And I I don't think they're trading Jameis Winston. I I don't think it makes fiscal sense. And I think that you know they like having a quality backup quarterback. Keep in mind, Jameis had the option to leave. He chose to stay, and the team was like, "Great, let's rework that deal. We're going to keep you around." It would be a rough look 
if you just suddenly said, nah, Jameis, get out of here. Go go hang out in Vegas with Jimmy G's broken foot and the ghost of Derek Carr. J- Jameis Winston today said the Saints have the best quarterback room in the NFL. So can answer that question for yourself. Louise has been big on this. If the Saints don't let Hill compete for a quarterback spot, let him seek employment elsewhere. Hence the hashtag free Taysom Hill. I mean, if Taysom Hill ever gave an indication that he wanted to leave, then then maybe. But I think he likes it here. <laughs> I mean, I think I think he's fine with 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 playing the role. Yeah, and and as you mentioned, Dennis Allen did say he likes Winston, and I and I I think he does. I think that this is a situation that everyone is okay with. You know, obviously Jameis would like to be a starter in the NFL, but he also likes the situation he's in. That's why he chose to stay in it. We'll have a lot more from Jameis. We he talked extensively in the locker room today. Haven't had time to go through it yet, but in the next episode this week, I'm gonna break out a lot of audio. I have some Rashid Shahid, I have some Alante Taylor, I have some Jameis Winston. I think there's one more that I'm forgetting. Oh, Demario Davis. We're going to get through all of that in the next episode. Steve Geller is going to be on here, so it won't just be me rambling to you for an hour. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that episode. But I did want to come on here and kind of just download a bunch of information while it was fresh in my brain. And I think I have successfully done that. So I will wrap it up there. Thanks for everyone who listened, everyone who jumped in, left a comment, left a question, all that always appreciated i enjoy doing these mailbags because i think it just gets to a lot of points that everyone's thinking about that i might not necessarily be keyed in on that you want to know about so it's always helpful and if you want answers to anything else hit me up on twitter at jeff underscore noack follow along at wwl.com you can finish out the the night with sports talk if you'd like over on wwl am 870 fm 105.3 in the odyssey app it's free check it out and check out Inside Black and Gold wherever you get your podcast. All right, y'all. Be easy. Peace.